3: Hi from fans, and Monty Pio forecast episode 180. Well, there was a glimmer of hope, and that glimmer seemed to be dying. But is the season now over
2: for the Blues? Join the podcast today is Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie? Hi, I'm not so bad, Hugh. Yeah, I had a good weekend. Uh, enjoyed the El Crico derby between Porchester and Fareham. even though I watched probably about quarter an hour of that game because I had too many beers beforehand. But aside from that, yeah, not so bad, not so bad. Tuesday's result... To put damper on the week let's just say that
3: yeah it definitely has has not it and it's not like i expected us to go there and win but there was a small part of me that really wanted us to and i won't bang on about my hatred for barnsley or rivalry with him again but it was a big deal for me all right boys but talking about big deals is bring him in how are you jack hancock
0: yeah i'm the biggest of deals really you get me in every now and again you parachute me in just just to save the day whenever andy's not here but yeah That's i'm, I'm right. really good mate how are you
3: yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Andy's off doing something. He's not even made up a reason this time. He just said, "Fuck it, I'm not doing it this week." It's Jack. illegal,
0: isn't it? It's, it's illegal. He's doing something illegal. It's probably again. illegal. Yeah, yeah. Again, we can't mention it because of his career no. as a lecturer.
3: But um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if we did, it would be you know time to hang up your geography coat and uh, go home. Really, isn't it? So, <laughs> but moving on from that, Jack, how are you anyway?
0: Oh uh, yeah, busy, busy but good, busy but good. Yeah.
3: Yeah, how, how, what's the life now of being a club, being employed by a football club?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of spreadsheets. And like I just, Freddie mentioned the uh, earlier or oh, however you say it. Um, I just update the spreadsheet every week and I just see Brett Pittman who's he's always like, oh, scored like 10 goals in one game. And it's, it's quite depressing knowing, you know, he's so close, but so far.
3: Yeah, and anyone out there who thinks we should have Brett Pittman back needs to check themselves and watch the, <laughs> the last season he played for Portsmouth. I don't care how many goals he scored down at Porchester. he was rubbish for us in the last year or so, and he does not deserve to be back in the Football League. There you go. Sorry, Brett. Love you, really. Um <laughs> All right, let's get into what we're doing today. So first of all, we're going to review the game against Cambridge. Following on that, we're going to review the heartbreaking loss to Barnsley. And then, I didn't actually put a question out there into the ether, because I forgot, because I was on a Sheffield Wednesday podcast, so sorry about that. But, we do have James Mapping from the Sheffield Wednesday Die podcast to give us an extended preview of the game against Sheffield Wednesday on Saturday. Right, let's get into it. Freddie, after the 3-1 win against... Bolton, and it seemed like maybe we could go away to Cambridge and get a decent, convincing result. It wasn't a convincing result, was it? But it was a result.
2: Yeah, probably got there eventually, didn't they? But <clears throat> my God, for, especially in the first half, we were absolutely battered by Cambridge. It just goes to show where they are in the league table is largely down to the fact that they don't have a proper striker at this level because their attackers wasted so many chances. Uh, their build-up play as well in and around the midfield was quite good, but they just wasted every every opportunity they got. There was that Liam, Be- Liam Bennett header from the James Murphy cross that went right. There was obviously the Michael Morrison header that went over the bar, but as soon as he was seen in acres of space, I thought, Oh God, here we go. <laughs> Pompey one nil down to Michael Morrison, who we all said just deteriorated, but thankfully headed over the bar. And then there was also that Sam Smith 101. one I believe he's on loan from Hull from memory. Uh, Literally just stick, sticks it wide. Macy made himself big, puts him off a little bit. There was also that Joe, Joe Ironside shot where it was actually a nice build up play. Ironside had his back to goal, tried to turn the defender, but put it straight at Macy that they just could have just made more of it. And Pompey didn't have a shot until like the 63rd minute, which made things look really concerning up until then massively i love the way you just ran through all my bullet points then
3: without me responding to it just just really to open the show up there you do realize i
2: do prep for the show as well you know
3: (laughs) yeah i know It just usually means i can ask you more questions in each bit rather than going through it all but let's just get into it there's no point me squabbling because i'm in a weird mood jack what did you think of the start of the game in the sense that obviously we gave away a lot of chances didn't we is it at the back do you feel like it's just the defense is sort of balls are getting in behind us or what do you think is the issue there
0: yeah, I mean, it's been pretty prevalent all season. We look, we look vulnerable. Obviously, we're not great going forward either at times, but we do look vulnerable, especially away from home. And I hate to say it, but I love Messino. But away from home, we do not look convincing. And you saw against Barnsley for their third goal it was that ball over the top, Towler, and then other times the ball over the top, Raggett, and and yeah, it gets us in uh, in trouble quite a lot.
3: Is there a way you think we could maybe change it up at the back? And I know this is not really talking just about the Cambridge game, but is it is it a case that we need someone with a bit more pace in at in the centre back position to help cover that with alongside Riley Towler? Maybe putting Dishon Bernard in at centre back, or um, just sort of spitballing some ideas here.
0: Yeah, I mean you've kind of got two options, haven't you? If you're going to play Raggett and Towler, you, you've got to drop that line. It can't be as high as it is because they've just not got the pace. But, you know, I'd prefer to slot uh, Bernard in instead of, uh, of Raggett and, and keep that high line. So it, it does work, but when you've not got that pace to cover, you just you get you get exposed. It's as simple as that.
2: At least a lot of bad positional play as well, especially when there's the high line yeah. too much and then the ball over the top. It just spreads to the back four, doesn't make it as structured. And we've seen Paul of lose quite a lot of chances just by defenders not being in the right place to intercept in, in a cross or, or block a shot, that type of thing.
1: Let's
3: talk about something a little bit sunnier because Owendale got an assist, boys. For the goal... Obviously, he played the short corner, comes out again. Freddie's slowly coming around to being the, the lover of short corners now rather than the hater of short corners and long throws. At least it's not a ta- long
2: throw. I, I, I'll take the short corners, but long throws, I, I can't do it. I can't abide it by it.
3: That's why we won't let Pack back in the side, by the way, Jack. He, he's banned him from the team because he takes two long throws.
0: Yeah, they are. They're infuriating when they just... He, he takes so long to set him up. and he gets a towel and he gets ready, he leaves back on the, on the boardings. And then you just go so slowly and so high, and the defenders have got about ten years to uh, to react. To it. Yeah, it's it's painful.
3: Are we going to start doing the thunder clap in the build-up to the throw-in, like the scammers did for Rory Delap? They used to do some sort of clapping, didn't they? Like before Delap took a throw-in, we just might, change might speed them up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to the game, it was actually quite a nice cross from Owendale, the way he whipped it in for the header and obviously Colby Bishop's there to head home and still scoring goals despite not a huge amount of chances in these two games. So putting those haters haters to bed really there, Colby, which is much appreciated. But what do you think, Freddie? Is this the turn of the tide?
2: is going to start picking up some more assists? Uh I'm not sure. We'll see. Uh, uh, again, lovely cross for the goal. straight uh, Straight on Bishop. Sort of fool the defenders as well. There's sort of looping cross going away from the keeper, who keeper can come out. So he was stranded. Um, Bishop getting in between the defenders, rising highest. Very, very cool. Uh, I don't know if this is a change for the rest of the season for, for Dale's production. He does infuriate me sometimes the fact that he always goes from one foot to the other repeatedly to try and sell the defender. And it doesn't always work. It usually leads to the end product being a bit poor. It's strange because he looks as if he's going to put in a decent cross a lot of the time, just of his running, his willingness to drive play. And then he always does the stepovers beforehand, onto the weak foot, then onto the strong foot, or vice versa. And the problem is, I think we've seen it too much. (laughs) But I do do hope for his sake that the production does get a bit better for the rest of the season, because I've never doubted his work rate. So I, I, I can see the talent is there, but it's just it hasn't come off as well as I would have hoped this season.
3: Yeah, and we do have options, and we'll come on to talk about that from the next game, I suppose, but we move it on. Do we think when we was one nil then in this game that it was going to be something we could see out and it wasn't going to be a stressful, squeaky bum ending to the game, Jack? Or did you think that once we had got the goal, it was it was going to be just a, a way of us seeing out? And I thought we sort of did pretty well doing that, taking about an age for Rafferty, took about a minute every time he got a throw in.
0: Yeah, I mean I wasn't too worried. I think if you play in a better opposition, you'd you'd probably you know be shitting yourself a little bit more. But um the, the Cambridge are just they're so toothless, it, it wasn't much of a concern. Obviously, you know, it's football, so you're always gonna be stressed and, and tense, but it wasn't I wasn't too worried, should we say.
3: And then I'll follow on back at you. We spoke about Owen Dale, but Tom Lowry made a big impact, didn't he, when he came onto the pitch, really. It sort of sort of changed the game, really, how he his passing and just sort of getting things moving a little bit quicker further up the pitch. And he obviously played that ball over to the top for Dale, obviously he's involved in the which led to a shot on goal on target. Give him a little slow clap for that. But what do you think Tom's big impact was in this game and how important it is to have him back?
0: I think, what, you know, when you miss impact and the morale and tank are the good pass of the ball, but the you know, impact a superb pass of the one. So is Tom Lowry. And he's just, he's a step or two ahead of everyone else. He's always moving into the space with and without the ball. He's got an amazing eye for a pass like you saw with uh with that ball over the top of the Dale. It's it just that that bit of class would be missing.
3: Indeed. Fred, have you got anything to talk about in this game for I move us on? It's not the most exciting of games, was it?
2: No, it wasn't the most exciting of games. I did like Pompey's high press again, which is the trend German under John Messino. It was it, the the passes allowed per defensive action were a low number, of signifies a of high press. It was at six point four six, which is very aggressive high press and that was all the way up until the 75th minute before the goal and then Poppy calmed themselves down for the rest of it so that was probably the main analytic that I looked at that thought yeah I could see I, I could see that I could see that Cambridge have 1.71 expected goals in this game according to scout and-, and completely messed up all of them which is <laughs> always handy isn't it it is handy isn't it but it's not that handy when you're playing against
3: a better team, as we'll see as we roll into the next game, we play against Barnsley. And again, Pompey start pretty slowly, which seems to be a bit of a trend at the moment, doesn't it? Like going behind a Bolt a against Bolton, starting slowly against Cambridge, not quite coming out quickly enough against Barnsley. And that game, you could see it right from the start because Herbie Kane nearly, nearly creates something in the first minute, doesn't he? Some quick passing, gets himself into the box and squares it. Luckily, the shot goes straight to Macy, who's in a decent position across the goal. And 58 seconds in, Jack. That's a bit of a warning sign, wasn't it, for what's to come?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you saw it against uh, a derby when Barnsley played them. They can play those really quick interchange passes. I think, I think it came from they swept up a second ball that we nodded away. But um, but yeah, I was watching it and, and I was a bit like, this could be a really bad start. Um, luckily, it wasn't too bad a start. Yet, shall we say. But yeah, it was definitely a warning sign just because you know the quality they've got on the ball.
3: Yeah, and then that warning sign really became a goal-baited, didn't it? When the ball's given away in the centre by by Joe Morrell, sort of a sloppy crossfield pass, really. Just tried to spread the play. Doesn't really see the Barnsley player there. No excuses, really, but gives the ball away. Then the ball's coming on to Riley Towler. And I mean, should we stop and have a think about what Sean Raggett's trying to do in this situation where... Look, I respect the stick up for your bros. You know, he's the older one out of the two. He's trying to help show the ropes and stand up for his man. But you can't be running across and leaving James Norwood, that kind of class striker, that much space in the middle, can you? Which leads to a goal, Freddie.
2: Yeah, no, it was a disappointing piece of defending. Um, Didn't help that Joe Morrell coughed up the ball in the centre midfield. And Barnsley did an excellent job in the centre of midfield to just cut out all of Pompey's play and counter-attack with purposeness and, di- and directness, which caused the Blues a lot of problems. Morrell didn't have a very good game, especially with his passing. But then the ball comes over, Adam Phillips is, a, is out there going down where Riley Tyler is. I think as, a, as, a, as you just have to trust your centre-half partner. I mean, if, if Raggett covers Norwood, and Phillips skins Towler and puts in a shot, then I think I would prefer that to the way that Raggett came across where both defenders are effectively going after one man, leaving the, other, leaving the striker in the middle of the penalty area on his own, really. I don't want to be harsh, but it is poor. Um, I don't think much. I don't think the back four any of them had a very good game defensively, but still, it's another example where a ragged mistake sort of led to a goal. It wasn't, a, it wasn't an obvious one, but you can't leave a striker in the penalty area of James Norwood's calibre on his own. And, he's, and he slots at home, lovely finish. And it sent Pompey back pretty quickly. And then the second goal just was even worse. We're saying that the
3: defence didn't have a good game. I think that's fair enough. Jack, I want to pick your brain about Conor Ogilvy. He doesn't quite seem to be playing as well as he was at the start of the season. I mean, it's not really a big deal in the, in the sense of, you know, the total team and how we're playing, but it's just a comment really. And the fact that even if you look at the possession loss figures, he's way up there as the player who gives away the ball the most out of all players in the team. What are your feelings on, on Ogilvy? Is it the lack of having someone forward ahead of him on the left? that's a consistent partner who he sort of has gelled with in the past.
0: I think with Ogilvy, there's a, He's, he's definitely a quality defender. I mean, he, he thrived under Danny Cowley. But ever since moving to right-back and moving back to left-back, he's just looked so shaky. He's really slow at coming out to his man, which you saw in a second goal. His crossing isn't the best. It's okay, but it's not amazing. Um, and he's, he's not really been able to form a relationship with anyone on the left side. I mean, Ronan Curtis to an extent, but even when you watch him play, it's not as fluid as, you know, as Brown and, and Curtis was. So, and obviously he's out of contract in the summer. I think it's a really big question. He needs to be able to, does his future like Frank Park or not?
2: I know that Ogilvy, the club do have an option on Ogilvy for another year. Personally, I wouldn't mind if they activated it and just gave him the other year. What do you guys think on that?
3: I think the club will do that sort of penny, penny picking of how much is the the cost going to be to on his wages? Because sometimes these clauses have a significant wage rise in them and sometimes they don't. I've got a feeling that will have a factor on it. What are you feeling, Jack?
0: I mean, you could also look at it, and look at it as a Marcus Harner-type situation where you extend him and then you, you see what you can get from him in the summer because there's definitely clubs out there that will be looking at a defender like Conor Ogilvy. So, you know, why let him go for free when you could get, even if it's not much, every little helps, right? You get a couple of quid from
3: Yeah, I agree. And I said that to Michael Eisner. No, Michael Eisner didn't, didn't ever speak to me. I said that to Eric Eisner at Fratton Park, and we and Freddie were literally looking at him, going, "You're not letting Harness go for free, right? You're not. We are going to learn from these mistakes, and you are going to sign players rather than letting them go for free." So, I have a lot more faith as well under Rich Hughes that he's going to be better with asset management than maybe potentially we have been in the past. So, yeah, I would expect them to re-sign him if not for anything, just to, to keep the asset, as you said, Jack. We spoke okay. about the Nicky Cadden goal, didn't we? Even though no, okay. It's a screamer. Move on. No, it's a great, it's a great finish. But as Jack says, we're really slow to come out to him and and provide any sort of blocking, and that just inv- invites him to hit the ball, doesn't it? He's sort of out of position, Fred, isn't he, on the other side? And you
2: just got to be a bit more flexible, haven't you, with your marking? <laughs> yeah, but I, I think for that chance, I don't like. I'm not going to say it's an out and out mistake on Ogre for that part. Yes, he's a bit slow to come out to him, and yes, he doesn't. Mark him as tight as I would have liked. But it's a screamer. Caden has so much to do from that angle to hit it right into the corner on the curve with power as well. Because even if he gets on on target, if there's not enough power on there, Macy just palms out for a corner. So really, he was still sort of shepherded into a very unlikely area (laughs) where a goal would be scored. But hey, take a bow. (laughs) Lovely finish, and it, it, it was just the fact that it was a couple of minutes after the first goal, Pompey was shell-shocked in arguably the most important game of the season.
3: Talking about our goal, Conor Ogilvy's involved in it, he starts to throw him, and the ball comes over to Bishop, and he basically plays a 1-2 with Rafferty, doesn't he? He spreads the ball out to Rafferty, and then he makes a very fast, quick, direct run into the box, and Rafferty manages to find him for the goal. And it's a great header by Colby Bishop to bring us back into the game at two one. You think, all right, we can get something out of this now, maybe let's see how it goes. But it's quite interesting. I was looking at the sort of the zonal sort of areas of attacking. I noticed against Cambridge, it was 56% of it was down the right, according to who scored. I mean, do we feel it's getting a little bit too predictable with the ball going outright to Rafferty? Because I know that Bishop's thinking, right, let's play it to the player who can put a ball in the box and I can score from. Um, are we getting a little bit too one-sided, you reckon, Jack?
0: Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I think for a few threads in the row now, I've kind of mentioned the average positions in the zones of attack. Because we've got nothing on the left with Ronan being injured, we've got to play out the right. And although Dale and Rafi have quite a good relationship, we're just so easy to defend against. And kind of going back to your point about the throwing, I've been banging that drum for a while about the uh, the quick throw. And before it was it was into Ronan and then it was a quick switch over to, to the right back. Um, and we've not seen it for a while for some weird reason, but it works really well and I'm, I'm not sure why we, we stopped doing
2: it really. Is the team actually capable of playing through the middle? I really don't think it is. It's a bit of a weird one because I look at the midfielders we have and they're all technically... They all have technical qualities. They've all got decent passes on them. And with some movement, they can interchange the play quite a bit. But whenever Pompey seems to go down the middle, they just get crowded out by teams packing the penalty area. What do you guys think?
3: Yeah, we almost sort of seem to spread it out wide to wait for late runners from the middle to, to provide further attack rather than to necessarily attack and penetrate from the centre. I suppose if you played a system where you had more of a floating a 10 and a 4 two, 3 one maybe the emphasis would be a bit more to go through the middle rather than the sort of three centre midfielders who you build in the middle and then play it out wide in triangles to try and get balls into the middle jack do you have a feeling on the reason why we're not attacking through the center maybe if you had someone like i uh, know it's not it's necessarily worked yet but say trying paddy lane at ham rather than right or in, interchanging with him and ronan it might have worked better
0: yeah. I mean, if you are going to play a 4-2-3-1, you kind of stole my point from me. Uh, yeah, it's Paddy Lane. Obviously, Jacob's got pretty good close control of the ball in tight areas, but he's not as quick and he can't, he maybe can't always interchange play as well. So, uh, yeah, if you're going to play a 4-2-3-1, I think, I think he goes for, for, Paddy Lane in, in the 10.
3: Has that answered your question, Fred? Do you think we can attack through the middle if we play a 10 though? Is, is
2: Paddy Lane your man or not? I think, I think it depends on the opposition. Um, there was another argument in this game, considering how how well Barnsley in this game sort of controlled the midfield, sat back a little bit, Ports have built up play a fair bit, but Barnsley was able to win the ball quickly and attack properly. Would it have be been a time to be better to play a deeper 4-3-3? Three, three? Um, I'm not sure if Thompson was fit, actually, but maybe Thompson anchoring.
0: But yeah, before the game, I, I said I'd, I'd play Thompson in the sixth, and then Moreland, and from the ahead of him. And I think I, was, I felt pretty vindicated in that. I, I don't think we were able to break them down. And and yeah, it was just quite easy to play against us. You know, you, you draw us on so much and then Raggett and Towder obviously push high naturally and then it's just so easy to play that ball over the top that they did so many times we got we got punished for it.
2: I understand why they played Lowry to start with in this game considering, his, considering the game against Cambridge and the fact that Ports have had to play out and try and win the game. I don't... I wouldn't go as far as to say it's poor selection. I just think it's a different, it was a different ethos to it, but it was just a shame it really didn't work in this game, unfortunately.
3: Yeah, John Massini said after the game that he feels it's maybe a little bit of a lie of where we are, effectively, paraphrasing that. You know, we, we've obviously beaten some sort of middling teams, haven't we, in the run-up to this, and Bolton weren't in the best of form, I suppose, when we are playing them. And now you look at going away to someone like Barnsley, who are on the charge. And just probably just a better team than us. I think it's fair to say at this moment in time, isn't it? Yeah, team goals maybe. <laughs> if we can be that that dynamic, and the fact that Barnsley's centre midfield get forward, press you, really athletic, get back as well quickly. We're also a little bit too slow, aren't we? And predictable, really, in our build up play and. That just means that you've always got their, all their team behind the ball. And it was just quite difficult to watch in that sense to try and break Barnsley down. The third goal, bit of a bad ball going forward, I think. And ball goes over the top. James Norwood again, he's there. And you just think at this stage, all that Jack was talking about, about that high line earlier on. And then Devante Cole, his, his strike partners in the middle to tap it home. It's a FIFA goal. He passes just across the box for a tap in and that's the game done, you would have liked, wouldn't you, Jack, for us to potentially at least hold on to some hope for a little bit longer in the game before, I don't know if we went all gun ho to try and get the second goal and then we were left out of position?
0: Yeah, it it felt really, really, really similar to the the Plymouth game And that, you know, Hackett scored in the Plymouth game, Bishop scored in this game. You think, oh, come on, we're back in this, we can do something, and then your heart gets very quickly crushed into a million little pieces and that pain is still not... I'm still not quite used to that, um, but yeah, I mean, Taylor was. I remember my senior a couple of days ago talking about Taylor he's still got a few errors in him, and people were a bit confused by that. And I, I got it entirely. He plays a pool ball over. He's then sat quite high, and then yeah, he gets done by James Norwood in behind. And he has just got a lot to learn. I mean, I, I wouldn't be criticalism as, as such, like I would be for Raggett, because Raggett's a senior professional. He's played a lot of football. But yeah, I mean, I mean, Tyler's just got—he's got a lot to learn, and you know, hopefully, he develops those skills and learns those lessons, and then becomes a better footballer. Do you think in the
2: summer, it is, seems fairly obvious Pompey will probably have to go for centre half anyway? Even with Sean Raggett and Towler, there's not much left behind them. Do you think Pompey need another experienced centre half to go alongside Towler as a partnership? If you're, if you want to break up the Towler Raggett combo.
0: It's a tough one because I feel like we've fallen into a trap of buying these experienced defenders so many times. You know, you look at Michael Morrison, Charlie Daniels. No, he's not a defender, but Sean Williams. I feel like at this point we need to just have quality. I know it might be sound a bit simple, but for me, it doesn't matter if the defender's twenty one or, or thirty three. If they're good, they're good. I think it's as simple as that. It can't be it can't be you know easy playing alongside Sean Raggatt, who has got a clang room in clanger in him, shall we say. And then, you know, you've got, you've got Clark Robertson behind Tyler, who's just slow, old, doesn't play much. So, it, yeah, I mean, I think you've just got to buy quality to, to compliment Tyler, to be really, really simple about it.
3: We need somebody, really, who can, who's got a bit of pace about them, but also just has good positioning and can pass the ball out. Now, there's a little long list of things there, isn't there, to get as a centre-back in League One, but it needs to be someone who, if we're going to play a high line, can track back, can cover the ball over the top but also someone who's comfortable with the ball at their feet, which allow us to play through the thirds quicker and play through midfield. I think if we go and get what's, you know, quote-unquote experience in the way of old school, that's going to be the downfall. We need to get someone who's much more of a modern footballer. And I've got a bit of faith, hopefully, that, you know, Rich Hughes and the team will be looking at that and deciding, you know, that's what we need. If this is the sort of football we want to play with a high line, we're going to have to get an athletic passing
2: centre-back to play alongside him.
3: All right. Friend, anything from I that,
2: on? Yeah, there is one little bit. We've got to play Guest the XG, haven't we? Guest
0: the, the XG. Now, I
2: have to mm. apologise for the listeners. I forgot to go back through all the old episodes on Sunday for Guest the XG because I was... Lazy. Isn't that uh, you forget? Yeah. Uh, uh, come on. Visa, Visa Krakow had to get promoted to the top Polish league on Football Manager, so that's what I was doing on my Sunday. So yeah, guess actually this week going to be slightly different. Obviously, Pompey had two games where they didn't create all that much. What was their combined expected goals in both the Cambridge game and the Barnes the game? What was their overall figure? It's the same format as
3: last time, combining two things together. I can barely work out one number, Freddie. Rather than trying to add them both
2: together, well, you're experienced now. We've done this game before. Yeah, come on here. Come on here.
0: Yeah.
3: Sort it out. Okay. Yeah. All right, let's just have a think about this. Bishop. We didn't read really in Crate very much. Dale had that shot. In the Barnsley game. I'm going to go with 0.75.
2: What, what should I figure, Jack, for both games?
0: I'm, I'm glad he went first because I was worried I was going to like go way too high. Um Uh, it was definitely higher in the Barnes game I think that's pretty easy to say I remember Mark on the banging on about it um, when we played Cambridge I'm going to go
2: 0.87 Jack is the closest very well done come on (laughs) come (laughs) on you see people you see it's all the guest XG haters but we do care about it on this show and other listeners apparently do as well but no, the total expected goals for both games was 1.04 with 0.45 in the Cambridge game and 0.59 in the Barnsley game. Dane Scarlett had a lot of chances in that Barnsley game um mm. and then Colby Bishop's couple. And that was the figure, really. Yeah,
3: I didn't think about those Dane Scarlett chances. I've noticed that's the first time we've mentioned him in the podcast so far.
2: Uh, yeah, I was um, going to say we talked about the left not having a lot of the a lot of creativity in there. I don't think it helps playing a striker on the left. I know he I had think... a couple of good games off the bench, but I don't see it. I really don't see it. And no, I, I think, see him I... next season anyway. So,
3: Jack, do you feel that Dane Scarlett is a better impact player off the bench? Really, when people are a bit tired and he comes on and just creates that sort of extra person to run at people? Because I don't really think starting he seems to have have it regularly in that position?
0: Yeah, I was chatting to a couple of Spurs mates on my uh, my uni course and they were like, why is he playing off the left? Why is he playing off the left? I do get it because he doesn't really fit the profile of our number nine. He kind of does fit the, the left wing role a bit better, but he shouldn't be starting. Uh, there's, there's, I don't want to sound too critical of him because he's a young lad. He's learned his trade. I think some of the chance playing were just a bit disgusting, to be honest, but he's way better off the bench. It, and you look at the Burton game, um, uh, the Bolton game, he looks he looks sharp, It's quick, but starting, there's just nowhere near the same impact.
3: Right, well, I'm glad we managed to cover Dane Scarlett then, because we would have forgotten about him anyway. Let's move on. Fred, is there anything in the news you want to talk about quickly before I move this on?
2: Yeah, there are some bits and bobs. Um, okay. Ryan Toneycliffe gave actually a very good interview in the news. Tagline is, the old me would have thrown in the towel and not been professional. Referring to his long stretch of not playing under Danny Cowley and then obviously coming back and playing a lot, especially under John, John massino and taking that chance and arguably to some earning a contract with his performances. He basically said that, I'm I'm quoting here, I'm 30 years old, you take all those life experiences and get on with it, you're not going to go, get anywhere by complaining. Personally, I love that attitude, especially for a player who may be in and around the squad if all the midfielders are fit, it's exactly the sort of attitude to have. So given that and his performances, the question is really, do you keep him for next season? And maybe we'll he'll just, be on that.
3: We'll just go over to the Ryan Turnercliffe fan club,
0: Jack Hancock. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, happy to be here, mate. Thanks to having me on to represent my my client Ryan. And um, yeah, I mean I, I I can't help but love him. Um he obviously didn't really play any time under Danny Cowley this season. And then I think it was Forrest Green Rovers away, he was chucked into a midfield two with, with Jay Mingy, and he's played basically every game since Spurs away. He played in a in a two with uh, with Joe Morel against uh Hoybier and, and Saar not Hoybier, was it? Skip and Saar. And yeah, he's just he's got so much quality on the ball. I think he, he seems like a pretty good part of the dressing room. He's not afraid to get, you know. Tackling, tackle in so yeah I mean maybe I'm coming kind from of a place of bias and I'm sure Andy will hate this but yeah I'd, I'd absolutely keep him next year
3: No I think you're winning us round with what we do with Tunney at the moment and um, he's definitely earning a contract as such and my last question to you on this I suppose Jack is wh- how many years do you want to give him
0: Yeah so I, did, I wrote a little piece about, about Ryan Tunney Cliff that, um, that did quite well but uh, <laughs> a little self-brag there pack me up Block um, it mate that's the whole reason yeah. it, you know It's on an app called Medium, I think, I'm sure. I think I've tweeted about it. Anyway, um, just beside the point, I said, ideally, you get him on a one-year contract with another option, but if he turned around and said, I want a two-year deal or bust with unreasonable money, I I wouldn't hate it, but I think if it were up to me, I'd I'd give him that one year with another option, to extend.
2: I I don't see him taking the one year, even though, arguably, he's been on the periphery. I think another team would give him a two-year. So, I think purely on that basis alone, I think you give him the two-year deal and I think it works. It takes him until he's 32, so just outside of his prime, so I think age-wise it sort of fits and it gives the option. I think you, you can probably move that contract on after a year if it becomes a big deal.
3: So, Fred, we spoke about Ryan Tunnicliffe and potentially a new contract. Another player who's obviously out of contract, Poor Ronan Curtis. He's out for probably the rest of the season, isn't he? So,
2: what are we feeling with Ronan? Is the club going to re-sign him? What do we feel? I think, yes, yeah, so it was gutting with the torn ACL injury because he was actually getting back into some modicum of form. I don't see the club offering him a deal he'll accept. And I think that's a, that's a slight copy out because I think they will offer him a deal, but they will offer him a deal for the sake of it. Because look at it, his production this season's gone all the way down. I think the last time I checked, it was one goal, one assist, which is brilliant for obvious reasons. I know he was played out of position under Danny Cowley for a lot of it and he wasn't played that much either. It was like like half the game time he was used to as well. But thinking about it with his production going down, there's an argument there that it could could just be time for him to move on, have a change of scenery. But then again, he, he loves the club an awful lot, will have some influence in the dressing room will be that sort of you know that role that uh, that model for new players of people who understand the club which is also very important it just depends if you put that much emphasis on that to give him a new deal because there's no way he's accepting a one year deal in my humble opinion i don't think he's going to accept a one year show me deal because he'll think oh i've played for this club for five six years i deserve at least a two year I think that's what he'll go for anyway. But yeah, that's probably one of the most interesting th- deals in the summer, I think. Jack, do you
3: reckon he goes off and signs someone like Lincoln, who loves signing players from Ireland or someone like that?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's actually
0: quite a good fit, fit actually. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, I'm really torn, at no pun intended. Um, because, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with Fred on this one. I think the club will probably offer him a short-term deal, which is the right thing to do. but. I'm just not sure it's worth the gamble offering a multi-year deal. His production's down, his game time's down. Who knows how much his injury is going to affect him? I know an ACL isn't, you know, the be-all and end all anymore. It's not the career ender, but I think football's such a money game. There's just so much risk involved with, with a longer term contract. I think it makes unfortunately no sense to to offer him a long a long year deal.
2: He obviously mentioned his his contract in um that in the beautiful game podcast that he appeared on. It's very strange a port supplier appearing on third party media. That's obviously not, not something that people would expect by any manner of means. But no, he <laughs> yeah, mentioned, us especially. Oh, wow. Okay. Not be around the bush. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody. I didn't. I, I didn't get a chance to listen to the podcast in full, but he did mention his contract being banter in the changing room, so, which was probably the only the main bit of interest anyway. Oh, and he was
3: interested in lockers. Apparently, that was a big upgrade. They've all now got their own locker. I saw that as a quote it was great. Don't forget the
0: kitchen. Don't forget the kitchen. They've got a new kitchen for everyone to have their breakfast in. that was the uh, that was the main bit of the podcast. 20 minutes well, on it.
3: that. That uh, thank you for bringing that to attention, Jack, because this is the kind of thing. If there's any haters out there who are thinking, look, look, the ownership doesn't do anything to help the players on the pitch. Well, guess what? They've got a new fucking kitchen and they've all got their own locker. So, you know, <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> all right, let's move on. It's- We spoke to James Mappin from the Shepherd Wednesday till I die podcast. He's been on the show before. He's a ledge and he's very happy at the moment in time because Shepherd Wednesday are steaming the league. So we spoke to James about how Wednesday are doing, how they're going to set up against us, all the usual stuff we do. We do a podcast. So let's get into it. Here's our chat with James Mappin from the Shepherd Wednesday till I die podcast. Alright, I'm here with James Mappin from the Wednesday Till I Die podcast. And James, thanks for coming on the show. Cheers you, thanks mate. Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. It's a beautiful time to be a Shepherd Wednesday fan right now, isn't it? Club record wins at the moment. 21 games, I think you said on your podcast that we were talking about. Unbeaten. It's going to be a tough ask, isn't it? But how are Wednesday fans feeling about going to this run-in? Are they confident they can get the automatic spot?
1: Yeah, I mean, when you're 21 games unbeaten, when you're top of the league, you know, I don't, I can't see a reason why you can't be confident, to be honest. Having said that, yeah, there is still some people that are saying, you know, we perhaps shouldn't get too carried away. The job's not done, which I get that. You know, people don't want to get egg on the face and stuff like that. But look. We've, we've been through all the, you know, the the bad times, you know, when we got relegated just a few seasons ago, it were dire. It were really bad. You know, the the seasons prior to that weren't, weren't great either. Um, so the fact that we've, we've gone through all that. Yeah. It's only league one. I I said that in, you know, in modesty, you guys have been in the Premier League a lot sooner than what we've been. Um, but still let's just enjoy it. And I'm, I'm confident that we can that we can do it. You know, um, the only problem is is the, all the other teams like the Plymouths and Ipswiches. They keep winning as well, but you know, I think a lot of teams are going to fear us more than what we're going to fear them, especially in this running and and games are running out now. You know, uh, you look at the the gap. What is it? I think it's five points at Ipswich at the moment. We've got two games in hand over them. I know you'd rather have the points on the board, but the, if you'd have said to me you'd be at this stage of the season, we'd, we'd be where we are now. I'd have. I'd probably think you're mad at the start of the season, but I'd I'd certainly snap your hand off.
2: What do you think's led to the good run of form then? Because I've, I've heard before the season, many people weren't that fussed about Darren Moore tactically and just looked at Sheffield Wednesday and thought there were a lot of good individual players there, but no system really. So, what do you think has led to Sheffield Wednesday being top of the table at the moment?
1: Yeah, I mean. I think one of the criticisms of Darren Moore is that he's very level headed and he didn't really show much emotion. You know, this, the pre and post press conferences were just the same. You know, there was no, he wasn't getting excited and things like that, which, like I said, we criticized that when he first came in or certain, you know, certain members of the fans did. Um, but I think that's probably, you know, in this situation now, that's probably a key contributor to, to why we're doing so well. He has kept him... You know, grounded, you know, not getting too, not getting too high on the highs and not getting too low on the lows. Thankfully over, you know, last 21 games, there's not been many lows. Although we did draw three games in a row, which did feel a very low point of the season. I must admit, <laughs> which sounds <laughs> crazy. Another thing again, we, we criticized the amount of rotating in the squad, especially early on. You know, you win games, you expect that same side to go out the next, next game. He didn't, he changed it, he changed the, uh, changed the formation or the style of play or the way that we approached the game, which, again, was frustrating at the time. However, you know, we've had to lean on certain players, You know, we've had suspensions, we've had a lot of injuries so far this season and the players that have come in, they've come in and they've already had, you know, 10 games under the belt or they've had you know, lots of substitute appearances, so they, they're not coming and having not played any, any football because he's put those players in at the early part of the season. And I did say at the time, you know, I think, um, we'll see the fruition of that kind of later on in the season. Obviously in in September or October, November, you're not really going to see the benefits of that. You're going to see that in February, March, April time. We're in that part now. uh, And we have, we have had to lean on those players. And and thankfully, like I said, any player that that has stepped in has done a great job at the moment.
3: Is it quite interesting? Cause obviously players like Barry Bannon always get the plaudits from outside of Sheffield. And obviously, you know, he's a class player one of the best players in this league by a long way, if not the best, but, George Byers, obviously, playing alongside him, did very well last season. Has he kept that up? Because, obviously, he played well last season. For us, we just didn't use him properly, really, in the, in the right sort of role. But has George carried on his form last season, into
1: this season, of being as important a player? George Byers is absolutely class. Do uh, you know what? I, I think we take Barry Bannon for, for granted, to be fair. Um, you know, we, we know what he does. Everyone knows what he does. Um, like I said, he, he does that week in, week out. But... George Byers is, you know, we were talking about this a few weeks ago, he's probably as important, you know, at, at this point in, in the season for us as uh, what Barry Bannon is in terms of what he does. He's a totally different type of player. You know, he's, he's always top of the, the tackles, um, stats. I know, Hugh, you like to look at all your stats and your numbers and what have you, and he'll be, I'm sure he'll be, if he plays on Saturday, which I, I can't see why he wouldn't, uh, he'll be top of that again, I'm sure. It, you know, he likes to break the play up. But not only that, he, he drives forward. When he gets the ball, he... Um, He's always on that half turn to look forward. You know, he's, he's some players that'll, you know, backwards and sideways, but for him, he gets it and he wants to drive. You, you might have seen him, uh, against Newcastle, uh, when we were on the telly in the FA Cup and he did that turn, which I've watched it far too many times. It's probably illegal. The amount of times I've actually watched that, that little clip where he, uh, where he turned and did two of the, the Newcastle players in one move. Um, but he's got that in the locker as well. And he scores goals, scores goals with his head, um, you know, he's got quite a few goals from inside the box. Um, you know that late charge into the box as well. Then, yeah, he has been—he has been key. He's been, you know, a fantastic player, and he resonates so well with the fans. I think he's got that connection, which which always helps. You know, he does his little salute every time he, every time he scores, which you know, as a grown man, saluting another grown man on a football field—it's not something I should be doing, but I find myself doing it every time he scores. <laughs>
3: Oh, talking about other players who Portsmouth did absolutely shocking with. We got um, you got Paul, you got Smithy up front, who again looks pretty good for you. Adds a different dynamic to what you've had before. Obviously, you got him from that reject shithole down the road from you in Rotherham and managed to poach him and you know get him to come down and play for you. I'm not a fan of that town, if you if you can guess that. But <laughs> he's linked up really well with Josh Windass, isn't he? And the partnership looks pretty good up front. And you've, obviously, you've got Gregory in the mix as well there. But can you
1: explain how that dynamics worked for Wednesday this season? It's a weird one because, do you know what? he's scored 11 goals this season. He scored, what, 19 for Rotherham. I think, you know, some of us expected us to, you know, have got that 20 goal a season striker, which we've not had since 2012, believe it or not. It's been a long time since we've had someone that scored that amount of goals. And it's just not quite happened. I mean, yeah, he's got 11 goals, but I think five of those have been from the penalty spot. Um, one of them was a massive deflection the other week. Another one just hit him and went in and he got, he got given that goal. So when you take those away, he's got a, it's got a fantastic goal from outside the box. But other than that, he's, he we've expected a lot more. I mean, he scored a, a fantastic header against Ipswich, but then he one on one and I don't know what he was trying to do. He took the ball wide and just absolutely fluffed it. So he is, he frustrating. You know, you said, I think mean, if you look at the numbers, yeah, it looks, it looks great. And of course, you know, from the spot, he's, there's no better penalty taker than him, to be fair. He, you know, you'll always back him. But he should have a lot more goals than what he's actually got. Some of his headers have been weak. Um, But, off, but, you know, he said, what's that dynamic been like with Josh Windass? They have worked quite well. They have linked up well. Um, he does a lot of work off the ball. But this is just a frustrating thing for me as a striker. I don't care what you do off the ball. I want you to score goals. It's just, I think it's just fortunate that we, he's in a side that's obviously at the top of the league and other people are chipping in with the goals. Cause if he wasn't, I think you would be looking at him and thinking, you perhaps need to score a few more.
0: Kind of just to chip in, um, away from kind of the more numbers side of things on a more emotional side. You've seen so many videos of, you know, hi-ho silver linings before the, before the games. What is that connection like between the, the players and, and the club and the fans at the moment?
1: It's oh, he's, he's massive. Like, you know, we've got a, a big fan base, as, as everyone knows. You know, home and away support is, is tremendous. You know, there's quite, there's more often than not 20, 23, 25,000 at home. Um, away, we fill out every away allocation that we get, especially in this league anyway. Um, and yeah, you, you see that. that I've already mentioned about George Byers resonating with the fans. Barry Bannon, he's just a, he's just, he'll go down as a legend, I'm sure, especially if, you know, we, we do manage to get promotion or even win the league this season. I think that's kind of a thing that's missing, I think, for, for some people to call someone a legend if you win something or not. Um, not only that as well, yeah, that, you know, obviously you've referenced to the videos, you see Darren Moore clapping along to, to high or silver lining this weekend, you're even singing it as well. I'm just waiting for that one time, maybe the last game of the season where he actually gets, goes full send and gets the, the arms aloft as well, which we're, we're all waiting for. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like I think it is key. Um, the club in a dire place. You know, the, the chairman was just calling the shots and he were getting too involved and he was making all the wrong noises, calling his customers and things like that, which obviously that doesn't go down very well. Um, but it's kind of took a step back, and and since Darren Moore's come in, a bit of a gentle giant, he's just connected so well with the fans. It, it didn't, to be fair, it didn't go according to plan at, at the start, and there was, you know, there were people calling for for him to be gone. But I think, you know, especially this season, there's a lot of people now that have, especially on social media, held their hands up and said, "Look, our more out last season, but I think you know, I'm 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 well." You know, um, I've I've changed my mind and and I'm uh, fully invested into him now. Obviously, fans from both teams remember
2: the first game of the season, the three or thriller at Hillsborough. What? How do you think Sheffield Wednesday will go at Fratton Park? Do you think they'll be more prepared
1: this time for what Portsmouth might bring? Uh, yeah, I think something they've done this season is. We do mix it up a little bit, you know. Even though we do seem to play well, we play three-five-two. He has trying to change that a few times, but I think three-five-two is the the best formation that we play. Um Having said that, like I said, we do we do change it up, whatever that's due to suspension or injury or whatever. Obviously, they're forced, but even then, we we do kind of mix up, especially at the back. We've had probably a different back five. I can't remember the last time we. Well, that's, that's how I lie. Last two games, we kept the same team. But apart from that, you know, it's been a different person in there every single time. Um, I think we do, Darren Moore looks at the opposition and he, and he looks at how can we kind of stop them from playing, uh, which again, was probably a criticism early on because when it's not working, you think just, you know, play to your strengths. But, you know, we've, we've won in so many different ways this, this season. You know, the teams that have come to frustrate us and, um, you know, throw themselves on the floor and time waste. Morecambe, I'm looking at MK Dons did the same. We beat those 3-0 and 5-2. Teams that have come to us and, and wanted to play football in Plymouth, um, we dispatched them 1-0 one at our place. All right. We didn't beat them at theirs, but you know, we we can, we can win in different ways. So, yeah, you've just got to take your hat off, really, to Darren Moore in the way that they've just been, you know, you've probably seen the amount of 1-0 wins that we've had and grinding those victories out. And Darren Moore's kind of thought, you know, if we can just not concede, I mean, 20 clean sheets so far this season is crazy, to be fair. That's another record that we've beaten, the amount of clean sheets that we've had so far this season. It makes it a lot easier when the likes of Michael Smith's not not scoring up front. You only need one goal if you keep a clean sheet to to win the game, of course. Not to coin a phrase that Mike Lowen would say. <laughs> the best commentator ever. <laughs> <laughs> not. <laughs> <laughs> the man
3: himself. And before we get into the little bit of predicting the match result here, James, can we just clear up a fact that the Wednesday fans in Leadmill who were dead cert that I
1: look exactly like Josh Windass are not correct? they must have had quite a few pints to say that mate
3: it was 2am mate let's put it that way we can put that one to bed then thanks boy (laughs) alright let's move on let's get to the bit of the score prediction part of the podcast James I'd like to know your score prediction please for the game and any goal scorers
1: well we've won 1-0 like I said about 11-12 times this season Uh, kept 20 clean sheets I'm going for a boring 1-0 win uh, on our part Uh, goal scorer is going to be Josh Windass is, um, he's not scored for a couple of games. I think he'll, uh, he'll get on the, on the score sheet on Saturday. Surely you should have gone for
2: Michael Smith, the ex player, just to rub
1: it in. <laughs> yeah. Joe, do, do you know we always say that whenever a team, whenever a player comes to us that's played for us before, I mean, a la George Hurst at the, uh, at the end of last season, I thought he was really, it was going to be the party pooper to be fair when he scored after what, four or five minutes? Obviously, we know how that game ended. Yeah, no, um, no,
2: one of my mates who I've known for a long time is a Sheffield Wednesday fan. He absolutely despises George Hurst. It's <laughs> G- yeah. genuine hatred there. And I know a bit of the backstory of it. And yeah, it's it's not brilliant, to
1: be fair. Yeah, it, it is is gone now. He didn't do anything. It was pitch when we played them uh, earlier on this season. So, you know what? If he, if he wants to just keep playing in League One then that's absolutely fine by us
3: yeah he's only, he's only good because he's playing for us let's be honest he's shit now he's at Ipswich you know <laughs> that's how it is
1: alright James Do you know what great. he should have he should have scored in the game at Fratton Park to be fair he uh, he should have had a hat full that day uh, I, think I can remember Bailey Peacock Farrell playing an absolute blinder
3: yeah he did now, this is all just really depressing memories so i'm going to kick you off the podcast before i do i want to, I want to ask you um, <laughs> tell people where they can find your show um obviously i've just been on your pod as well so if they want to listen to more of me then you know let's go for it
1: yeah no problem it's, you know, it's uh on twitter we're at wtid pod uh the wednesday till i die podcast and we're, we're on all the uh major podcasting platforms
3: James, thank you, mate, and let's hope for your
1: sake that we don't have this same conversation next year. <laughs> no, I hope, I hope, mate. I hope we're in the championship next season because this season, this league is, it's shite not it. It is really, really shit. Like some of the teams that we're playing, you know, the Morcoms, the, I mean, Gillingham last season. I'm got I'm so glad they oh. got relegated. That was that was dire. The worst um, away end. It's
0: just freezing point blank Oh yeah, <laughs> open plan. Yes. It's open plan.
3: The McCarn the it, plan, the stand. <laughs> yeah,
1: how, how how that didn't fall down? I have no idea. Um, but yeah, there's some teams that Accrington is another one that are just they're just crap. Like honestly, like the it's like it's like two leagues in it really. There, there's you know there's the teams in the top 10, 12 maybe. I think Shrewsbury's probably a bit of an outlier at the moment. Um, who kind of come and want to play football other than Peterborough at the weekend, but. All the others just, you know, they come to Hillsborough and, and you know, they, they just roll over. Morecambe, 2-0 they, they, they <laughs> down at half-time. They take a strike off and put a defender on at half-time. T- half like, if that's not saying like damage limitation, I've, I don't know what that is. Um, gotta protect yeah, that goal difference, it. James. Gotta protect that goal difference. Well, well, we yes, yeah, exactly. You know, I, I've probably come across as being really entitled that we need to be higher up, but, you know, you know, Forest Green and teams like, and teams like that, it just, you want to see a game of football, don't you, at the end of the day, and fingers crossed, I hope that's what it's going to be on Saturday, and, you know, may the best team win.
3: Yeah, maybe next season, we can join the big boys club, but James, thanks again, mate, get off and do your live show, you've got people waiting, and we'll speak soon. Nice one, cheers mate, thank you, bye. Cheers James. Cheers James. Thanks James for coming on the podcast. Well, there's one very happy man, isn't it, Freddie Webb? Is it often you see many people from Yorkshire that happy?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's always good to have a ha- another happy Yorkshireman on the show. Uh, uh, good to have some of my brethren. He has a stronger accent than me, obviously, but no, no. Sheffield Wednesday fans have got every right to be happy. Um, the excellent form they're on, the players clicking, the tactical setup working as well, and just them grinding results. They they definitely look like the team to beat this season.
3: Yeah, they do indeed. They look like a team who are gonna, yeah, get promoted automatically, whether that's first or second. I think they're probably going to win the league, but there's still a lot of lot of track to go before that gets played out, and a lot of good teams around them. But they are on track to to get promoted this season. They've obviously got a lot of talent. They play really well in the center of midfield, and a bit of like a Barnsley, they can dominate us in the middle, and that's something that really does worry me in this game. If we can't get our center midfielders on the ball enough to try and build through, we discussed earlier on, maybe Thompson should come in. I think for this game, Thompson probably should come in and provide that extra steel in the middle of, of the midfield to give us a bit more combat in there to stop the likes of Byers, Bannon, etc. from really getting on the ball and allow us to get forward. Jack, what are your feelings on how we should set up against Wednesday in this game?
0: Yeah, I'm with you on the 4-3-3 uh, the, the with the midfield three of um, Thompson, Morel and, and Tunker for me. I think it's so important when the senior gets that midfield selection right because they've just got so much quality and if you, know, if you give Bannon time the ball, I remember doing Sheffield ones their way at uh, the end of last season and yeah, his passing range is just obscene and it doesn't matter that front Park is a smaller pitcher than and where it won't matter to him. He, you give him time the ball, you don't close him down quick enough and yeah, you're dead. It's that simple. Yeah, um, but yeah, I think you know there's important section decisions all over the pitch. I'm not sure uh, what's his face. Um, Raggett should start. I think that's Bernard for me. Um, Scarlett as well. It's a question who's starting on the left for me. It's Rico Hackett. So I think this is it's a huge game in terms of getting it right. Obviously, it doesn't really matter if we win or lose at this point. The season's over. But I think uh, it wouldn't shock me if we win anyway. Yeah. It's a weird game. Weird game.
2: Yeah, I think points-wise, Portsmouth are too far out now. Unfortunately, the last time I checked, I just stop checking. this now Portsmouth with thirty-four games, fifty-one points, twelve points at the end of the season. Currently, ten points off sixth, which is currently Derby County. Considering last season, Plymouth didn't get promoted with roughly eighty points. Pompey need to win ten of their last twelve to get anywhere near that, and I don't see it. I really don't. Um, there was a glimpse, there was a small, small glimmer of hope. Before Barnsley I didn't get too carried away with it but yeah it's a shame now it's a, and it's it sucks to say that the season's done with 12 games to go I'm not really used to it
3: I am boys I'm a Philadelphia Flyers hockey fan but no one else will care about that yeah. alright let's get into the score prediction time Freddie Webb I want to know your score prediction please for the game on Saturday and any goal scorers
2: I just think Sheffield Wednesday are too strong they're very they're a very good side. Tactically they set up well against Portsmouth with the 3 5 2 that's defensive but also dynamic. I'm gonna go with a 1-0 Sheffield Wednesday win, and I will go with Michael Smith scoring because obviously the ex-Portsmouth player will score just to rub it in. Lazy, once again. Just stolen
3: James's prediction and made it yours. You just tweaked his one. You told him you should have gone for Smith you just taken that you tweaked it Jack, I, you I, told, gonna... I,
2: told, I told him to go for Smith because it was that was, that prediction was in my head already he just said it first
3: oh there we go there's the recovery smile Jack have you got any original thoughts please you can add to the podcast
0: yeah I don't plagiarise like Freddie um, <laughs> I'm gonna you know what I'll be the uh, I'll be the, the voice of optimism I'll go with a 2-1 Pompey win because we all know Sheffield Wednesday will score and I'm gonna go Bishop and Ogilvy to score Ogilvy to score the winner
3: I already made my prediction on the Wednesday podcast, and what's really nice here is we've got quite a rounded thing here, Jack. I, th- I appreciate you being positive because I said that Wednesday're going to win three- one, and um when I watched how Barnsley played against us on Tuesday, the talent they've got in the middle of midfield, if we can't stop them playing through us, we're going to be in big trouble, especially with the with the line, with Raggett playing there. yeah <laughs> I just I just I just can see a lot of goals coming for Wednesday. They scored quite a lot against MK a few games ago. And now they've—I think it was five—is was it five or four? Five, I think. And then they've been like a one-nil here, one-nil here. It's time for a goal glut for them. And yeah, I can see it being a three-one shepherd Wednesday win. And I apparently uh, picking Colby Bishop would be boring, so I went with Riley Towler. Why not? He can give it the big in in front of the front end, even if we're three-nil down. Go on, Riley. Fred, <laughs> always pleasure
2: yeah always a pleasure Hugh thank you uh, yeah I'll be at the game on Saturday which will be nice I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but hey I'll enjoy it for my Saturday and uh, yeah thanks for listening as always guys
3: yeah I'll be down there as well Andy's coming as well I'll speak for him since he's off doing whatever he's doing with Turtles but Jack great being on the podcast cheers mate
0: yeah thanks for having me on mate it's, uh, it's been a pleasure as always
3: alright and until next time without Pompin